0: There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up.
1: This is Cameron Chronicles, the official Duke Basketball podcast from the Duke Chronicle. Cameron Chronicles. I'm Mitchell Gladstone and I'm with Hank Tucker. We're coming to you from our Chronicle office studios. Hank, it's really exciting to finally get things kicked off here. I know we've been talking about it for
2: a while. Yeah, it should be fun over the next few months. I'm looking forward to having a lot of great guests on, hopefully,
1: and I'm looking forward to co-hosting this with you. So what's the plan for Cameron Chronicles over the next couple of months? Well, we're going to have lots of interviews with guests from years past of Duke basketball, as well as some media members covering the team. Hopefully add an our own analysis later on and uh maybe we'll throw some emergency pods later on in the season
2: yeah the idea is that we'll give you all an episode every other week or so i meaning about twice a month during the season if you have concerns or questions for us maybe we'll start doing a mailbag with hashtag askron and mitchell's really excited about the possibility of emergency
1: podcast yeah i love emergency pods so maybe that'll come you know after the duke unc game in february or march or maybe from the acc or ncaa tournaments we'll do it some on-site special editions. Uh, this thing gets really ho- gets rolling, like I really hope it will. So, without further ado, I want to introduce our first guest. He's a former Blue Devil and one of the most active voices in college basketball, Jay Billis. We were fortunate enough to chat with Jay about a week ago, and we covered plenty of topics.
2: Yeah, Jay talked about a lot, including the NCAA-FBI scandal that has a cloud hanging over uh, the college basketball world as we're only a week away from the start of the season. He also dropped some insight on this year's Duke team and how the Blue Devils will be playing a bit of a different style with their size, length, and athleticism this
1: year. Jay's a frequent commentator on ESPN, and now he's our first commentator on Camera Chronicles. This is our interview with Jay Billis. All right, so we're here with former Blue Devil, part-time lawyer, part-time analyst, Jeezy historian, and uh, sometimes NCAA critic Jay Billis on the inaugural episode of Cameron Chronicles. Jay, thanks for uh, joining us for our podcasting debut.
0: No, thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: Um, So you've never shied away from disagreeing with Coach K, and uh, he said yesterday at ACC Media Day that you know, if the NCAA was looking to put together a real committee that, in his opinion, it would have someone from the, um, the NBA and uh, possibly Jim Haney, who's the president of the NABC. If it was up to you and you were deciding um, what that commission would look like, who would you have on it?
0: I don't think I'd have a commission. Uh, I don't think we need a, a commission. The NCAA is really good at forming committees, but uh, the committees that are formed usually aren't very good at getting things done. And once a committee is formed, it doesn't have any power, so it has to go through the same, you know, Byzantine bureaucratic structure that we've always had. So, uh, you know, I I hate to be cynical about this, but we've gone through this kind of thing before, and there's been no sort of uh change in the way we do things. And you know, Mark Emmert, who's a very smart man, said that this is not the time for. Uh, half measures or incremental change, and I was like, I was thinking, God, it would be great if we could get to half measures and incremental change. That would be a huge leap forward. Um, but I would, I would start by changing the the entire system of governance for uh, for basketball, and uh, and have sports specific governance for the the game, uh, and uh, and have someone who's in charge uh, where you can can make decisions. Uh, like you would if you were running uh, a league. You know, it's amazing. Football doesn't have the same problems that basketball has because the NCAA doesn't govern football. And uh, and so it's no surprise that football is better run. So,
2: do you think this this problem uh, is rampant uh, with shoe companies, uh, you know, dealing with recruits? Because Coach K does some things so. He thinks. Uh, I mean, he said yesterday that a lot of what shoe companies do is good for the game. Uh, so, do, do you think it's it's a it's a big problem? You know, I, I assume you know you've criticized the NCAA and other things. Do you think this particular problem is rampant across the whole sport, or just in a few of these uh, isolated cases?
0: Well, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure it's even a problem that if, uh, if an apparel company gave a contract to a 15-year-old tennis phenom, that would be considered good business. If an apparel company gives a contract to a 22-year-old college graduate uh, that's going into the NBA the NFL or Major League Baseball, that's considered good business. But if an apparel company uh, deals with a, a college athlete, it's a federal crime now. Uh, The the federal government has now weaponized NCAA rules under a very novel theory that the school is the victim somehow in all this. Uh, I don't happen to agree with that, but good luck telling a federal prosecutor what's a crime and what's not. But uh, I I think the problem here is that for all of these issues uh, going forward not to be federal crimes, there, there needs to be no change in federal law. There only needs to be change in NCAA rules. And that's a very telling fact. Uh, I, I think that, that a lot of this stuff is just normal commerce, and when you've got a multi-billion dollar business, the idea that commerce is going to stop at the athlete is, uh, is a fairy tale and pipe dream. And look, we don't have these kind of issues in Division Two or Division Three because uh, those aren't multi-billion dollar businesses and all the salaries and expenditures are in line with the, the state admission. They are not in Division One. And uh, and look, it's been this way since 1906. You know, the NCAA was founded in scandal, and it has continued in scandal ever since. This is just our latest one. Like, you
2: know, even if even if the NCAA rules are bad, and and you think there should be change, uh, you know, you talked to Rick Pitino a couple weeks ago uh, on SportsCenter, and, and you know his excuse is he didn't know, uh, which is possible. But you know, if it's so hard for a coach to know uh, everything. Why are there certain coaches, you know, like Coach K, like some others, that, that seem to get lucky and not get in any of these, uh, get into any of these NCAA problems through whole careers uh, in the game?
0: Well, I don't think it's. A, I think it may be a, a factor of getting lucky. I mean, if a player takes something, or there have been issues at almost every school with players, and uh, and you know, one can make specific judgments if you want. But you know, Rick Pitino, I don't think was making an excuse. He was making a factual assertion. He was saying that he did not know what his assistant was alleged to have done in a hotel room in Las Vegas. Um, you know, that's not an excuse. In fact, Rick Pitino said that he took responsibility for hiring that person and takes responsibility for what that person did. But whether it's a factual issue as to whether one whether a person knows. Uh, has actual knowledge of something. And he was saying that he didn't know about that. Now, we can reasonably differ on whether one should reasonably know about something of that nature. But, uh, you know, you guys are, are pretty young. But I think when you have kids, you know, I think any parent would be asked, Do you know what your child is doing all the time? And the answer uh, of most parents, if not all, would be well, we would certainly hope so. But the answer is no, we don't know what they're doing all the time. And I I can tell you guys, my parents did not know what I was doing, and Coach K did not know what I was doing. Um, So you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, You know, I think we've got some standards in college sports that have become uh, somewhat ridiculous, and we don't apply those standards to anyone else. Like we don't say that that the president of the university should know everything that's going on with his or her employees, uh, their coaches, and the like, and their professors. But we say that, that a coach should know everything, and that's an unreasonable standard in my judgment. Uh, but look, you know, whether Rick Pitino gets fired, that's up to the University of Louisville. How it's handled uh, by a, a, a national governing body is a different, different matter. And so when you've got Jim Beheim being suspended for nine games because one of his players got improper assistance on a paper, and he's imputed with knowledge of that, I don't consider that reasonable. Other people may. I don't. Uh, and and I, I take a similar view with with recruiting. Uh, a coach should be responsible for what he or she uh, reasonably knew or should have reasonably should have known. Uh, I don't think that the, the addition of, of the the concept of reasonableness is is that difficult.
1: So transitioning to you know a look at this year's Duke team, um, this is probably the youngest team since you were a freshman here with Mark Allery and Johnny Dawkins and David Henderson and I know we really haven't seen that much yet obviously we'll see some more tomorrow night but have you been able to watch and you know get any early impressions or just sort of your thoughts on the team given the makeup of this group with such a young really almost core around Grayson Allen
0: I have not seen them practice so I haven't I haven't seen anything yet I'll, I'll obviously see them in their early season games uh, and I'm really looking forward to watching them play uh, I, I've seen all of their players in, uh, uh, in past years and in high school and the like so uh, they're extraordinarily talented and this is one of the more talented rosters that Duke's ever had, it's just a young roster and they've got a ton of size so it's a different team uh, Duke's been uh, over the last Decade, maybe long, yeah, a couple of decades, they've been doing a really good job of spreading the floor and attacking off the dribble and uh, really stretching defenses. And this is not going to be that type of team. Uh, they don't have as many shooters to stretch the floor, but they've got way more size than they've had. Uh, and it, they're big guys that are really athletic and long uh, that can really change ends. Uh, so they, they'll be able to get up and down the floor. And they'll have really good versatility, and they have a chance to be really good defensively. Uh, but as you guys, as you guys know, you know when you've got youth, uh, uh, there are a lot of variables that go with that, and you don't know how that youth is gonna is going to uh, uh, gel together, and how long that's going to take, uh, and and how it's going to perform, and how youth performs at the end of the year. But the good news for Duke is, you know, they've got youth in a very young game now. And uh, uh, so teams that have high-level experience are, are, the, are the exception rather than the norm. Uh, you've got a lot more teams that, that don't, have, don't have experience. You, know, you mentioned that the team I played on a million years ago. That we were young back when, when uh, every team was older, so our youth really stood out. Uh, youth doesn't stand out as much anymore, and these players are far more prepared to step in and play than we were uh, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, it's a totally different deal than it used to be.
2: Yeah, and Coach yeah, and Coach, Coach K has evolved too. Obviously, I mean, he he says now he has to be more tolerant uh, with some of his younger teams and some younger players, and that yelling might not get through to them as much. So, you know, can you imagine him not being as fiery and and angry when something goes wrong as he was when you were there?
0: Yeah, I mean I've watched him over the years, and everybody everybody evolves and gets better as they get older. And and he's you know, he was great to begin with, and that has only gotten greater. But, uh, uh, you know, I've never, I've never been a big fan of yelling. I don't think it works, period. Uh, you know, I think if you're trying to make a point, um, uh, you know, you, you can get it across in different ways. And he's always been a master of getting his point across. So volume doesn't really matter. It's what you say. And, uh, and you know, I mean, we, we all laugh at, at, you know, everyone that, every coach that gets older in the game, their former players always like to joke about how they've gotten soft and the like. And he has he not. Uh, the delivery may be different, but the message is still the same, and the message is still right on point. I mean, he's the he's the best that's ever done this, and and I think he's the best that's ever done this in 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 this game, and and maybe in any game, but uh, but definitely in this game, he he's the best ever.
1: In that sense, I know you sort of talked about how this is a different Duke team that they're bigger, and um, but these guys have grown up with. Uh, you know, a different game than the one maybe in some senses that you played, you know, they've grown up playing more outside, more beyond the three point line. We saw Marvin Bagley take a three, we saw Wendell Carter take a couple of threes in that in their first exhibition game, or was actually the countdown to craziness scrimmage. Um, so do you think like what have you seen with in terms of this, you know, evolution of the traditional back to the basket guy and how has it evolved over the last couple of decades, just that position in particular?
0: The games, the games evolved because of the three-point shot. Uh, the difference in this Duke team from some of the teams they've had in the recent past is that you know Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter may take a couple of threes, but they're not going to make six in a game or seven in a game. You know, Duke's had guys that could make five, six threes in a game, and you have to go out and guard those guys. So, they're not going to be able to stretch the floor in the same manner that they've done it in the past. And so, the floor is not going to be quite as open. Uh, they're going to have to find different ways to score. So, maybe they become uh, like they were in 2010, a, a, a fantastic offensive rebounding team, and they get second shots. You know, North Carolina won a national championship based on their offensive rebounding this last year, even though they had two guards that led the team in scoring. Uh, and, and they were not a, a, a prolific shooting team, they had one prolific prolific three-point shooter, but they were not a great three-point shooting team. You know, Duke's had great three-point shooting teams in the recent past, and this, this does not look like one of them, but, but it, it'll you know, maybe it'll be a better defensive team, and a team that scores more off its defense, and scores more off the offensive glass, and, and is able to, to get to the free-throw line in a different way by getting the ball inside, uh, things like that. I, I don't really know the answer to that yet, because I haven't seen them. But, uh, but looking at their personnel, their personnel is, is, is vastly different than we've seen it in the past. And um, I think it's going to be fun to watch just because of uh, watching that. You know, Coach K likes to use the term adapt, um, uh, you know, fashioning a, a, an offensive system and a, a defensive system around the talent he has, uh, I think will be really fascinating to watch.
2: Hey, you talked about yeah. adapting, uh, and, and Coach K, uh, I mean, we've seen a, couple, a few big guys coming to Duke the last couple of years, Chase Jeter, Marquise Bolden, have had maybe uh, a tougher time adapting to the physicality of, of the college game, and then of course, if you go back three years, Jaleel looking Forward did a great job with that, but so, do you think the, these last two years, those guys uh, uh, were just kind of a coincidence, or is there anything about being a big man uh, now that makes it maybe a little harder, uh, more of a learning curve to adjust to the game than, than maybe a perimeter guy would have?
0: Well, they had some injuries to deal with too. I mean, Marquise Bolden was injured at times, and uh, and so and you also have um, uh, the competing interest of the perimeter. So sometimes when you have really good big guys, they may not play as much because you've got perimeter players that are playing those positions, and you know you can play smaller guys at the four, and and because of the three point line, you can uh, you know you can not only. Cover up for that. You can you can dominate those those matchups and, and win those matchups. So I don't think it necessarily says anything about you know Marquise Bolden or Chase Jeter or the like. Um, you know sometimes uh, it just has, has to do with the, the personnel decisions that are made on a particular team. Because if Marquise played somewhere else last year, he might have been a starter and averaged 15 points a game. Or if he'd stayed healthy, you think you know he he played really well at the start of the year. And, you know physicality wasn't his issue. The issue was, was more continuity, and uh, you know he was injured at the start of the year. You know Giles was out, Tatum was out, and then Tatum came back. You know Giles was never healthy really the whole year until the very end, I think. Um, and and you know he, even he, he was he was never as good as he was in high school. I I, don't, I still don't think he's played as well as he did he did when he was in high school, and he was a first round draft pick. Uh, so you know Marquise this year has got competition in a different way with with new guys coming in and. You know, as long as Duke stays healthy, there's no reason they can't be a top-five team all year long.
1: And like you I mean, Duke's one of those teams. A lot of teams are at the top. We'll see four of them. I mean, you'll see four of them That you know, early in the season with Duke, Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas at the Champions Classic, and then obviously UNC, Villanova, even Wichita State. They're all going to be sort of right at the top. How, like, what does Duke need to do to separate itself come March I mean they've clearly got as much talent if not more than any, any of those teams so how does Duke you know in your mind go about separating itself from the pack and potentially you know being able to cut the nets down and come March or April?
0: Well Duke's got the most talent they don't have as much they've got the most and uh, uh, but it's young and it's big so who knows exactly how that's going to work out? But there are other teams, as you guys mentioned, that are very good and have a little bit more experience. And, you know, in today's game, experience may wind up trumping uh, young talent. Uh, You don't really know how that's going to work out. Um, Oftentimes, you can have young talent when it's blended in with with older guys um, that can be really, uh, you know, really devastating and effective. You know, Duke saw that in 2015, really. you know, I, I think Michigan State is going to be really formidable because they're healthy now. They're bigger than they've been in a long time. And they've got—it seems like just about everybody back. I mean, I know they lost to Aaron Harris and a couple of you know, a couple guys, but but they've got Gavin Schilling and Ben Carter back, and uh, and they've got their almost their entire core guards back, and, and having a lottery pick back in Miles Bridges, who, you know, he's got experience. I mean, he's carried a load already, and uh, and so having that, uh, sort of that time between your freshman and sophomore year is really valuable. And so at the start of the year, I think Michigan state has to be considered favored over Duke, uh, early on, who knows what that will be in the middle of the year and whether everybody stays healthy. You know, Arizona has got really good personnel and they've got some older players as well. So, um, You know, there's a cloud over some of the programs. I mean, Louisville, I think, would have been really good. Miami uh, still can be very good. Um, But, and Kansas, I think, is going to be excellent. So, uh, there are a lot of really good teams. And, and, you know, Kentucky's probably in the same boat as Duke, where they're just as young, and they don't have a whole lot. Duke has Grayson Allen, who's more experienced than any player Kentucky's got, maybe any two. Uh, So, Kentucky's probably, overall, less experienced and younger than Duke, and and I I would put them further down the ladder because of that.
2: Yeah, well, you mentioned that Michigan State, you know, you think would be favored against Duke. We'll get that matchup in a couple weeks. You know, do you think that could be an early barometer, I guess, for who's number one? And and how how would you expect Duke to kind of guard them with Miles Bridges? You know, they had Matt Jones to put on him last year. He's not there anymore. Uh, How do you think that matchup's going to shake out uh, November 14th?
0: You know, it's it, it's always a great barometer, but every game's a good barometer. Uh, you know, they'll get a good barometer plan, Bowie State and uh, and Elon. Uh, the lessons will be learned there as they, they move toward Michigan State. And you know, kind of the good news with basketball is, uh, you know, it's not football. You know, they're not, uh, you know, they're not going to be saddled with a loss forever. That's going to going to put them down to the polls, and all of a sudden they're not going to make the college football playoff. Uh, you can suffer a loss early and that can be a really good learning experience and you can mature from it and be a, be a far better team down the road because of it. So win or lose just like last year playing against Kansas you know both, that was a great game for both Kansas and, and Duke and uh, and this will be a great game as long as everyone stays healthy for both Michigan State and, and, and Duke uh, but I, I think I think the, the issue is going to be you know kind of how is Duke going to play and, and you know Grayson Allen have to be, uh, be a, a, a primary scorer and the primary scorer. So, you know, Trayvon Duvall is going to have to handle the ball and not turn it over. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to have guys that are going to be – going to have to mature quickly. And who knows if they're going to do that? Who knows if it's going to take five games, 10 games, 15 games for, for everybody to kind of get it uh, or longer? I, I have no idea. That's, that's part of the fun of watching these young teams kind of come together – and that was the fun of 2015, really. You know, you had, uh, you know, there were some great teams that year. That was the year that Kentucky, you know, sort of was the best team, I thought, by uh, by a fair clip during the regular season. And, and Wisconsin was the one team that I thought could beat Kentucky. And Duke wound up winning the whole thing. Um, you know, matchups at, at that level were, were really important. Uh, they're not always important, but they were really important in, in that Final Four. And, you you know, I'm not sure at the beginning of the year that uh, that Duke was the best team, but at the end, he turned out to be the best team.
1: Well, obviously there's a lot to unfold. Jay, we really appreciate having you on, and uh, thanks for doing this with us.
0: No, thanks for, thanks for having me. It's great, it's great to be with you.
1: Thanks so much to Jay for coming on the pod. I don't think we could have had a much better voice from the college basketball world to get things started on Cameron Chronicles. Absolutely. Uh, So like I said earlier, there's lots to come in the next few weeks with a busy start to the Duke basketball season. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud,
2: Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll have lots more coming soon. And if you have questions, you can email us at dukecronsports at gmail.com or tweet us at DukeBasketball with hashtag AskCron. And as always, follow us there for the best coverage of Blue Devil, Blue Devil basketball. And you can also keep up at either www.dukechronicle.com or the Duke Chronicle on Facebook. So for today, that's all we've got. I'm Mitchell Gladstone, I'm Mitchell Gladstone and that was Hank Tucker.
1: We'll talk to you all soon.